Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. This is Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. I'm here with Brother Macaroo and Brother Amos. This is the Black Liberation media an alternative independent source of information it is our efforts to deal with the critical issues of our time we try to contextualize many of the concepts that are basically omitted by the mainstream media we want to meet in the minds because we are convinced that through creative dialogue hopefully we'll be coming live to you shortly this creative dialogue encourage much can be resolved, perhaps not everything, but we'll be able to move in the right direction in terms of stimulating your interest. One thing that comes to mind in particular is a fact that we get from the Justice Department, Justice Department over 1,100 right-wing media, I'm sorry, right-wing militia, white supremacist outfits that are threatening civil war as we sit here in December 2019. This president has basically exacerbated this hatred, this vitriol. The hatred is so great in many instances that you can just feel it all around you. They're disarmed and they are dangerous. Much of the rhetoric we hear from the black community uh, bespeaks of the type of individual attempts and efforts to combat this. It'll suffice to say white supremacy is organized at the local level, national level, international level. We find ourselves in the African community beset by various chasms, unable to really deal with this onslaught or this potential carnage if it were to occur Ask a brother the other day, you know, what are the particular high, high, high spots? What are the particular areas here on Betty's Ford Road, you know, where we could, you know, situate snipers? Just speaking hypothetically, he looked at me with a look of utter bewilderment, <laughs> which is indicative of where we are. <laughs> Clueless as to how to defend ourselves because we don't study military science. This is the African Liberation Media Brothers, take it wherever you want to take it. Abibi Fahodier, African family, Bado Mapampano. The struggle continues. Brother Makaru here, another opportunity to raise the consciousness of our people and discuss some issues that are not commonly being discussed as we chase the latest celebrity news like a rat chasing his tail. Our report came out uh, this week regarding the numerous rapes of our children and women on the island of Haiti by the uh, United States, I mean United States, well, might as well say that, United Nations Stabilization uh, Mission, which uh, went to uh, Haiti after the earthquake. And uh, a pair of researchers uh, led a study 
and uh, they interviewed about 2,500 uh, Haitian people in the summer of 2017 about the experiences of local women and girls living in community that uh, host peacekeeping missions, and 265 of them shared stories about children followed by UN peacekeepers. Girls as young as 11 were allegedly sexually abused and impregnated by so-called peacekeepers and left in misery to raise their children alone. They will uh, go unpunished because under the current system, the UN can investigate crimes and send peacekeepers home, but has no power to prosecute individuals. At the bare minimum, the UN should set up uh, child support, some type of reparations uh, for the young uh, young ladies that have been abused. But but once again, what we see here, this is really part of a 500-year-plus pattern of the uh, rape and abuse of our females, our females of African descent, uh, of course, uh, beginning with the uh, with chattel slavery, the transatlantic enslavement uh, process, the world's largest forced migration, the rape of millions of African women uh, by these uh, barbaric Europeans, and of course, African children, and we see this continues. Uh, to this day, uh, we uh, uh, don't seem to have the capacity to protect our women and children, and oftentimes we are the, the very abusers ourselves. But here's just another example of this island, this long, long-suffering island that uh, engaged in a heroic revolution and threw off throughout uh, various European uh, imperialists in a war for in a war for independence, and it just the island has just been beset by one tragedy uh, after another. The Clinton crime family, among others, taking advantage of um, uh, the earthquake there to to, to make uh, millions of dollars of profits, and uh, you know now we see these uh, we we get this report, uh, you know about these so-called UN peacekeepers. And, you know, what kind of peace were they keeping when they're down there raping girls as young as, as 11 years old? I mean, it's just, uh, it's just another example. Uh, prior to this study, there's a, there was a U.N. official by the name of Andrew McLeod. And he had done a study of, of U.N. operations, and he estimated that there were 3,300 pedophiles working uh, for various UN agencies, he said the UN had had the only organization with more pedophiles was the Catholic Church. So, so this is an organization that we really shouldn't even allow, you know, anywhere on our territory. Uh, but because you know there's so much uh, uh, instability in various parts of Africa that uh, you know we we allow these people to come in. You know, I mean, we you know we saw this. Uh, with uh, the the role of the UN and the overthrow of Patrice Lumumba, they did absolutely nothing to stop that. I mean, the UN really is just an imperialist tool. It's a tool of North Atlantic imperialism, because uh, you know the real the the real people who are committing war crimes never get punished. So you know this is just another uh, continuing 
example of our powerlessness and our inability to protect our, our women and children. And at what point do we uh, stand up and be men and say, you know, this has got to stop? Well, it's suffice it to say, brother, um, organization is the weapon of the oppressed. We are poorly organized. And as Brother Wilson reminded us, if you look at the host of problems that the African collective is confronted with, it stems from no other source than powerlessness. Of course, um, our legacy of slavery at the hands of white supremacy and human beings and the reductionism being reduced to a tool uh, which as the byproduct of, of what Maremani calls the despiritualization, the thingification, uh, the objectification of individuals, the internalized idea that an African is not quite as human as the white man and subjected to various kinds of abuse which we ourselves have internalized. You know, Ani raises a very critical question here in 2019, which usually draws an emotional response from many Africans I talk to, you know, as I travel to various places. Amos Wilson raised the same thing. You know, what would prevent, or what apparatus do we have in place that would prevent the European from attempting to reduce us to shadow slaves again, you know, if they wanted to. What African nation, uh, Wilson raised the question, could uh, rise to our defense? You know, this is what the European wanted to do, you know, given our lack of, of power uh, to resist. You know, it's, we still find ourselves on the, on the fringes of European initiatives, you know, as if the impeachment of this short-fingered Bulgarian is uh, some form of salvation for the black masses. You know, where is our initiative? You know, where is the black agency, you know, to bring about um, a level of comfort economic security, military protection, so that we can, to whatever degree, elevate ourselves to become free, proud, productive people. You know, what progressive step is on the horizon so that we can begin that process that's conducive to our survival? Hmm. You know? Well, I definitely think it's important that you raise this to our awareness. I think in our community, this is one of the topics that we often have problems dealing with and taking seriously. And I think it's because it's more comfortable for us to talk about our economics or to talk about our education or to talk about our history or to talk about religion and one of the easiest things, our diet. <laughs> but when it comes to the issues that face us in terms of our morality in regards to sex, this is one of the, the topics that people often overlook and don't want to discuss, or they don't think it's that serious of an issue. And it, it honestly is 
one of the most important issues because of how it affects the morality of the individual that's affected by the perpetrator, especially when you're talking about pedophiles and young children being taken advantage of, being raped, being abused sexually. We have men in our community who are fathers, who are uncles, who are pedophiles. We have women in our community who are mothers, who are aunts, who are grandmothers, who are pedophiles. And this is an age-old thing that happens to a lot of us, and some of us feel uncomfortable talking about it because some of us may be the victims. Yep. (coughs) So um, it's definitely important that we don't lose track of this LGBTQ pedophile war or assault on African people. It's rampant right now on the continent of Africa and how they're trying to transform the moral standards of African people all across the continent into what you see happening in front of us in the United States. Some countries are resisting, others are folding. Right now in Zambia, the president of of Zambia just kicked out a pro-gay U.S. ambassador because of his stance on homosexuality in the country. Now, I'll read to you what the president had to say. He said that we know that there could be people who are homosexual in Zambia, but we don't want to promote it because we frown upon it, the practice. Most of us say it's wrong. Even animals don't do it. Why should we be forced to do it? Because we want to be forced to do it because we want to seem or to be seen as smart or to be seen as civilized and advanced and so on. If there are such countries which allow bestiality, let them do it, but not here. This is the president's statements on this assault that's taking place in that country. Now, we know recently in the past, there's some conflicting things about the Zambian government due to their relationship with the Chinese from a financial economic standpoint. They didn't allow Brother P.O. Lumumba to enter the country because of speeches that he has given on the Chinese being the new imperialists of Africa. So from an economic standpoint, there's still some work to do in Zambia, but at least at, at the baseline of African morality, at least this country is willing to take a stance and say, and say this is not something that we want to have in our country because it's not a part of our culture. If this is what other people want to do in their country, then let them do that in their country. But we should have the power and the authority to decide how we want to govern our own consciousness, our own self, our own state of being, and our own people. And if this is something that we morally reject, as being anti-African, which now you have all of the non-experts who are going around quoting false information that they're reading on Google saying that uh, homosexuality is African. And they're putting out information, like information saying that there's rock art or cave art painting in Africa that represents homosexuality specifically in Zimbabwe. Now, recently when I traveled to Zimbabwe, I did not find any homosexual cave art or rock art paintings. And I even talked to multiple 
curators, multiple museum curators, multiple guides who work in the areas where they have over 300,000 cave and rock art paintings. And I showed them the pictures that the Europeans have drawn because they've never been able to produce an original image of this so-called painting. And each and every one of the guys said that they have never seen any homosexual rock art in, in Zimbabwe. So this is falsified European propaganda, but, but you have entertainers and you have uneducated people going on podcasts, TV shows, and promoting this, especially from the LGBTQ community because they want to be able to say that this is African because then it gives them a doorway to go in with their agenda. But we can point back to originally in the Nile Valley where this concept or this lifestyle was rejected. Nobody here is saying that there was never a homosexual person in Africa. But what we are saying is that African people always had the moral values prior to Christianity. So don't say that this is something that comes out of colonialism with the, with the um, bringing in of religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Prior to those religions existing, African people already had moral codes against homosexuality. Hmm. Thousands of years before the Bible was there. And this is still documented. If you go right into the Valley of the Kings, where you see the 42 negative confessions of Mu'at, one of those confessions is, I have not laid with man. Hmm. And even in translations, they tried to take this out. When they print this, on posters or on, you know, in books, they try to take that out. But originally, this is what it said. So that African, means that African Senate scholars take it out. Yeah, you can look. You, you can look at some of the uh, versions of the uh, confessions by certain scholars. And you have to ask yourself, if you are writing about Maat, but then you're changing, then you're not living in what you're writing about. And you have an agenda behind why you chose to change it. Because you're trying to include people and include their feelings instead of giving them the truth. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to make them feel comfortable with something that is not accepted by African people or by African culture. You would rather lie to them and just remove it so that you can play it safe. We have a lot of scholars that play it safe. That's the difference between a, a, a safe scholar and a warrior scholar. A warrior scholar is someone who tells the truth no matter the consequences. Let me, let me read this. Uh, you know, I, had, I have not been following this issue, so I, you know, I saw a blip of it, but I got so much information to keep up with. I, I just didn't zero in on that. But since I just talked about, about uh, IET and the pedophile, pedophilic uh, UN soldiers there, let me, let me read this. Former U.S. Ambassador to the Dominican Republic, James Brewster, said that Daniel Foote, the guy that uh, the president of Zimbabwe wants to remove, he's the current U.S. Ambassador to, uh, to Zambia, said that Foote was his number two when he represented the U.S. in Santo Domingo. Brewster, who was one of the, of the 
openly gay mm. U.S. ambassadors under the Obama administration also noted that Foote was in Haiti immediately after the 2010 earthquake that killed more than 100,000 people. <laughs> so it looked like this guy's like, uh, everywhere there's pedophiles, this guy's turning up. But whatever the case, I mean, uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out there. I'll, I'll say this. A lot of times, some of the most dangerous wars are the wars that people are not aware of. They show one thing and do another. So even though many of us don't feel like this is important, or we don't really understand the ramifications of what will take place if this war is won by the United States, by Europe, by the spread of this type of culture, many years from now, when our children, grandchildren, etc., are growing up and they have to deal with this, it'll be too late for us to then decide that it's an important enough issue for people to actually speak up and stand up and talk about. And this is this is dealing with it all. I'm talking about the, the, the sexual abuse. I'm talking about the, um, the pedophilia, the homosexuality, the transgenderism, all of these things that are foreign to us in regards to the acceptance of it. Don't don't point to one person who's a homosexual and that happens to be African and tell me that this means that Africa accepts homosexuality. Don't give me an interpretation of some group or, or, or clan of people in Africa and from a European perspective, you think what they're doing is homosexual but then an African person can tell you clearly that it's not homosexuality. Exactly. And, uh, you know, related to this, I think one of the real, real major issues is the uh, sex trafficking oh, of, uh, of, of, of young uh, uh, African women. Uh, this is, this is a, in my opinion, at a crisis level here in the United States, and we posted this story about uh, Crystal Kaiser uh, earlier this week. Uh, a pimp and a child rapist was killed by a 17-year-old. He was pimping and raping, and she faces life in prison. Crystal Kaiser, now 19, met Randy Villar, age 33 or 34, when she was 16. In February 2018, just four months before he was killed, authorities found evidence that Villar had been abusing underage black girls. Keep that in mind, underage black girls. It started when a 15-year-old girl claimed he drugged and threatened to kill her, telling cops that Villar had been paying her for sex since she was 14. And the Washington Post said, citing police records, uh, she told officers that her abuser had filmed himself abusing other girls, with officers then finding hundreds of child pornography videos of girls who appear to be as young as 12. They included more than 20 home of videos of uh, Valar with underage girls, including Kaiser, who told the Washington Post she did not know that she had been filmed. In some, uh, Valar, describes him, Valar describes himself as uh, an escort trainer. It sounds that Maybe that's just another dressed-up word for pimp. Officers also found that he had $800,000 in assets, 
had made almost $1.5 million in transfers between November 27 and May 2018, a pattern of activity his bank associated with human trafficking. Villar was arrested on charges including sexual assault of a child, and he was released without bail. Now, now, now you're talking about a, here's a, a system that has people serving life without parole for weed. And here they here they have this man. They have they have the evidence from his computer. They have the testimony of this of the, of this first uh, young lady, and then this second young lady who uh, eventually uh, took 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 revenge or defended herself. And uh, they this guy doesn't even have to post a friggin' bail to get out of jail. But once again, it was underage black girls. I guarantee you, if he had been doing this to underage white girls, his bond would have been 2 or $3 million. Kaiser shot Vala, 33, twice in the head last June because she says he had drugged her and was pinning her to the ground to rape her. Kaiser now faces a slew of charges, including arson, first-degree intentional homicide, which carries a mandatory life sentence in Wisconsin. She's being held on $1 million bond. Okay, so she's got a million dollars bond, but they let this child rapist out of bond, on his let him out basically on his own uh, uh, recognition. In Wisconsin, traf tra sex trafficking victims have the option of an affirmative defense, meaning that if they committed a crime while being trafficked, they can use that as a defense against certain charges. But on Monday, December 9th, Judge David Wilk ruled that an affirmative defense was limited and he found the status did not apply to Kaiser. His baffling decision means that now she faces life in prison and is not allowed to use the sexual abuse she endured as a defense. So she can't even. So so this this guy was trafficking her. The police have video evidence of this of, 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 of this barbarian having sex with this young lady. But now she she she's the one facing charges. Uh, basically, uh, after she uh, killed him, she did make some bad decisions, some posts on Facebook. I mean, we are, always have to run to social media with everything. I mean, this is, you know, it's, uh, it, social media must be the new crack. Uh, the new opioid or whatever, because it seems like we have to run there and 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 report everything. She 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 after she shot the guy in the head twice, uh, she she burned his body. So that's why she got that's why she has the arson charge. But the but the real issue here to me, there, there are two issues here. Number one is the massive amount of sex, sex trafficking that uh, that the young black girls are facing, and you know you have to wonder what's going on in their homes. A lot of their homes, uh, these these young girls have there are no fathers in the home to protect them, uh, no fathers to give them you know worldly advice about men. Uh, a lot of these young girls are in the streets, running loose, uh, and they they are being taken advantage of because they are young. I'm not blaming the victim, but you got you got you have to put all of these conditions in place. Uh, you have to understand all the conditions that lead to this. You got mothers that obviously are not able. Uh, to control them or, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, but, 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 but here, but here, once again, what you have, I think is just the, uh, the, the, the absolute uh, total uh, injustice and uh, disproportionate uh, way that the criminal, the so-called criminal justice system deals 
with criminals who happen to be white. You know, usually it's police officers. Now we now we we did manage uh, in Fort Worth um, the officer that that did kill uh, Tatiana Jefferson has been indicted. Uh, can we get a conviction and can we get a an appropriate sentence more than Amber Geiger got uh, by you know a judge uh, that, that ran up and hugged her and a stupid Negro on the on the stand talking about forgiving her. Um, uh, Tatiana Jefferson's father had a heart attack and passed away, and he said he was not forgiven under any conditions. This man probably, you know, died of heartbreak for the, for his daughter being killed. But 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 here you have once again a clear example of a white criminal being given privileges by uh, the system that uh, a black kid is this this caught with what with half a roach of marijuana's got to go to jail and 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 and, and the family's got to pay out a $300 for example to get him out of jail because the bond is $300 so i mean you know this is what we're dealing with but once again all of this goes back to our current state of powerlessness and our the current state of a lack of awareness and even to the extent that, that there is an awareness you know there's not enough positive action uh, to remedy these situations. Uh, so, you know, we'll keep an eye on this and see how the state chooses uh, to process uh, this young sister. Uh, we know that the uh, uh, Centonio Brown, who was uh, in Tennessee, had a similar situation. She was finally pardoned. I think, uh, what did she spend in jail? 14 years or something like that. She also killed a pimp, a sex, sex, sex trafficker. Uh, so, I mean, this, this is what, this is another part of this, this whole, uh, sexual abuse of our children is, 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 is all, it's all part of it. And, you know, it's not just limited to people who are queers, but that's all, it, it, it all plays into, you know, this, this, this whole, uh, travesty, uh, you know, that's plaguing our community right now. And to speak back to that issue that you've talked about and you talked about sex trafficking i think it's important for us to know especially for the people that listen to this show that live in charlotte charlotte is now considered to be one of the sex trafficking hubs in the united states the cases of sex trafficking abductions in the city of charlotte alone has risen tremendously over the past few years and I think it's important, especially for our female listeners and also our listeners who have children to understand that this is not something that you can just talk about and think that you're going to be prepared for it. This is something that you have to prepare yourself physically by going out and training and preparing yourself to be able to be ready in case you're in a situation where someone is trying to abduct you. An abduction usually takes 10 to 25 seconds, but for the victim, it can feel like five to 10 minutes. So if you're not constantly preparing yourself by doing some type of physical training for this specific situation, then you're gonna be a victim. Um, there are classes that are offered, self-defense classes, women's self-defense classes, 
that all of you should take advantage of. And if you're interested in taking a class like that, send us an email to AfricanLiberationMedia at gmail.com and we'll respond back with the class information so that you can be prepared because I've worked with women and I've seen women in these classes and they'll tell you that it is a tremendous benefit because it prepares you, specifically prepares you for things that otherwise you would not be prepared for if you're not into some type of physical training or martial arts. Brother, I think uh, early you spoke to an awareness regarding being in close proximity to certain vehicles, uh, i.e. a van that's near you that should trigger an awareness. Right, right, you right, are, right, 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 right. You always, whenever you are out, you always want to always be aware of your surroundings. That's the first thing. You always want to make sure that if you see a strange-looking person, a strange-looking man or a woman, because they'll use women too, you want to make eye contact with them and let them know that you know that they are there. Because in many cases, this this sex trafficking is really the new slave trade. Mm. Now, I'm not just going to promote this brother because he's my brother, but you need to watch the Pizzagate uh, lecture by Irritated Genie, which breaks a lot of this stuff down. Because, yes, they do have Negroes who are participating in abducting people. But who are they abducting people for? Who's paying the money for that woman or that child or even that man or that boy? Who's paying the money? It's predominantly rich, well-to-do, white people here in the United States and all around the world that participate in this. And on top of that, there's a governmental structure that exists that is promoting this agenda, which is why somebody like Jeffrey, Je- Jeffrey Epstein can be murdered in his jail cell and it may be made to look like a suicide because of the ramifications of what can take place if he does testify against people who are in power who have also participated in this activity. Yep, the web of connection... Uh, I tell you one thing: if if you involved with anything that involves the Clinton crime family, <laughs> you can look forward to going six feet under. I'm telling you, you that up, you come up missing. Yeah, you okay. come you come up missing. You know one one other aspect of this uh, with uh, so many, uh, particularly black females missing, some of whom are never found, is the organ organ harvesting mm-hmm. industry, uh, which. Um, the Zionist state, the barbaric Zionist state known as Israel, has has been implicated in uh, several times. You know, several people have been been caught here, Zionists here in the United States, um, uh, sending body parts. You know, to uh, to the Zionist state, and a lot of a lot of people. You know, sometimes we we find we find people that uh, have been you know mysteriously murdered and whatever, and when when the families get the bodies back, you know, body parts are missing. So I mean, that's a that's another aspect of it mm-hmm. that uh, you know that, that that we need to be. You know, this is really and truly. I mean, the whole uh, assault, the whole assault, really on 
on the black community. It it, it, it takes, you know, it take, it's taking place on several levels. You know, we have we have the psychodynamics of black self-annihilation in service of white domination that that we see being played out in the streets often with um, with you know black on black violence, so quick to kill one another for any reason or for economic reasons, you know, because you know you selling drugs in my community or whatever, and uh, you know so and and then 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 you have these this um, uh, so many of our children, these little children are just being the ones that are not being killed by uh, stray bullets are being killed because you have some sorry woman. I'm not going she's not a mother. She's somebody that gave birth. A human incubator. Yeah, the, the, you know, the uh, the young man that, uh, that Tahir was talking about last week that the uh, mother allowed the boyfriend to just torture. Heartbreaking. Torture. I'm talking about absolutely torture. She stood by. You gave birth to this child, and you let a barbaric Negro torture your son to death. And uh, they talk, and uh, I think Tahira said that you know she could get a max of three years or five years or something like that, which she should be given life in prison with no parole, and she should be beaten every day while she's in there. You know, maybe the lesbos can do something of value while they're in prison, but uh, you know this. I mean, this is part of what we're talking about. Uh, another an, an, another bit of. Um, News came out this week, you know, when the when when the white supremacy dynamic unleashed a reign of terror on the Greenwood community of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. A lot of the Africans who were there said thousands of African people were died, you know, had been killed. Um, the, you know, the official number came up to be only 300, which they always lowballing numbers when it comes when it comes to us, and they're always uh, exacerbating numbers when it comes to other people. But um, a, a mass grave of African people killed by white supremacists in 1921 has been possibly found. Now, the uh, largely through oral history, people that lived in the uh, Greenwood neighborhood talked about the fact, have been saying for years that these mass graves existed. Okay, you know, the word was passed down from the actual eyewitnesses to their children, to their grandchildren. And um, so finally, a group of scientists uh, started um, uh, sometime earlier this year uh, using uh, technology to, um, to X-ray the landscape. They, various cemeteries, the Booger T. Washington Cemetery and some other cemeteries there in the Greenwood community, and now they think that uh, that uh, a mass grave has been found. The neighborhood of Greenwood was known as Black Wall Street. Restaurants, grocery stores, tailors, and were all black-owned businesses. In 1921, a white mob burned much of the Tulsa neighborhood to the ground, and some say as many as 300, well, actually 3,000 were killed. The white mob clashed with several armed black men who had gathered to protect a black shoe shiner who was unjustly accused of assaulting a white woman. A shot was fired, violence broke out, and, uh, you know, the, the, that was the result. So now there's a, there's a possibility that, um, that, that a mass grave has been found. So, uh, you know, we, it, it seems, you know, that, that a, a, a lot of the massacres that, that our people suffered during 
uh, the period of American apartheid are coming to life. Of course, this this was one of the great, uh, one of the the most uh, devastating of those massacres because uh, not only not only here was the white supremacy dynamic motivated by by uh, their you know feelings of racial superiority and racial hatred, but they also had economic objectives. Black people in the Greenwood section of Tulsa, just like black people in Ocoee, Florida, black people in Rosewood, Florida, black people in Wilmington, North Carolina, were just too successful. They were just too economically successful. They were self-reliant. They said, okay, uh, you all passed the law, Plessy versus Ferguson, said that we had to be segregated. We, we, so we took that and we developed our community. And, and then you achieve success, and then the, you, then, then the white supremacy dynamic says, well, no, 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 I mean, yeah, we wanted them segregated, but, you know, they, they don't have any business owning banks and, and being doctors and lawyers and uh, all sorts of uh, skilled uh, craftsmen, uh, you know, brick masons, carpenters, plumbers, these kinds of things. No, these people are too successful. So a black man stumbled onto an elevator, uh, 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 yeah, an elevator, and accidentally bumped into a white woman, and they forced a white woman to say that he had groped her, Dick Rowland, and they were going to they were going to lynch him, and and black men went down there armed and said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. And then the result is, you know, perhaps three thousand people were killed, and so we we'll see what turns up here, but. Um, you know, once again, this is this is America's history of racial violence, and they always want to tell us, well, you know, uh, why don't y'all just, why can't y'all move on? You know, why, why, you know, why, why, why do you have to keep bringing this stuff up? You know, like, you know, but they never forget. Just like with Michael Vick, you know, the other day we talked about, you know, last week, so. Uh, you know, I just wanted to bring that uh, to our attention because we, we need to be aware of this because as Dr. John Henry Clark said, all history is a current event. Uh-huh. All history is a current event. And absolutely, do they have the capacity to do in uh, 2019, 2020, what they did in Tulsa in 2021? The same mentality exists. Brother, you can't even debate it. And, you know, one of the triggers for white animus and hostility is blacks being able to look white folk in the eye, you know, and achieve, actually, in many instances, the per capita income exceeds that of, you know, per capita income of white folk um, in many of these places that you mentioned. Um, You know, Dr. King even noticed during the Civil Rights Movement that, you know, the whites were offended by the lack of decency, end of quote, in terms of a treatment uh, they were. They found the sicking of dogs on Africans in Birmingham objectionable, but when it came to equity, fair housing, and these kind of things, uh, you know, the very white folk who were uh, uh, appalled by the lack of decent treatment afforded, uh, or that they that they uh, were willing to uh, push for, uh, were rejected the idea of of, uh, equity with whites, not necessarily that that's the goal because Malcolm, you know, alerts us to the fact that the white man is not the yardstick that we should, you know, that we should use to measure 
equity buy. Um, but, you know, just listen to your talk. I'm reminded of a statement made by the great Josephine Baker before she left this country. She said, the, the thought of America makes me shake and tremble. And this is in the wake of the um, East St. Louis riots that occurred when she was uh, a, ch a child herself. But, uh, you know, clearly the European constant, as articulated by many, is... Um, is a reality. The more things change, then the more they remain the same. Yeah. So, you know, we don't we don't want to be so uh, depressing here, but we do have to raise these issues. But brother, almost has some some positive news. Uh, we need it out of the out of the African <laughs> continent. So, brother, almost want you tell them about the um, the move that uh, the brothers made, brothers and sisters made over there regarding the uh, CFA Frank. Well, um, the news that I had about the, the, the Frank was was more so a warning. Um, you may be able to talk about the positive aspect of it, but um, what I was going to say about the Frank was, or the CFA, was that um, recently uh, the president of France, President Macron, mm -hmm. um, he traveled to... I believe it was uh, Ivory Coast. Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, and he uh, he went to visit some French soldiers there, mm -hmm. and he made a statement where he says that uh, we have had losses, we have also had victories, and he's thanking the soldiers, but he's saying that on the other hand, he can't come here and allow misinformation and untruths about. France being looked upon as an imperial country in Africa. <laughs> Continuing to spread. Oh, my God. Because he said that it's not right for his soldiers to be treated the way that they're being treated as if we're coming in as imperialists. Now, France has been in Mali and they've been in other African countries saying that they're fighting terrorism. Mm -hmm. uh, they sent their soldiers there to fight uh, what they consider to be the jihadists in Africa. And this is a ploy that Europeans are using now all across the world. Uh, Lindsey Graham once made a statement that the war on terror is now in Africa. Mm, he did. So they moved past what they consider to be the Middle East mm -hmm. to the African continent. And this is a, a ploy that they use as a gateway to control and domination over a country is specifically controlling the country's resources. Uh, the United States has set up AFRICOM specifically for the purpose of counterterrorism, trying to train other African armies and military on how to fight against terrorism. Mm. When in most cases, the terrorism is either A, caused by uh, destabilization of another country that they created mm -hmm. or B is specifically funded by these these various countries. The arms are given to certain rebels throughout these various countries and they're made, they make these terrorist groups so that they have a reason to then send their troops in with the guys that they're fighting against terrorism. Um, there was a lot of news that's been happening lately about Africans becoming aware of this colonial pact with France 
And uh, there have been a few African activists like Kimmy Sabin and others who have been fighting the Frank throughout West Africa uh, for a long time now. But the awareness seems like right now it's at its highest point. You have people all over social media. You have people uh, within the news. Uh, you had the U.S. ambassador, uh, the African Union, that formally got fired mm-hmm. because of her statements on the Frank and on the Colonial Pact. Mm-hmm. So people are now aware of how much France is exploiting Africa. And now the president, just like how Obama came out and said we have to take a stance against fake news, now he's calling all these things fake news. So he said this in Cote d'Ivoire, the, one of the most neo-colonial countries on the planet. They're being disrespected. Huh? He said, I cannot ask our soldiers to take risks to fight against terrorism and the security of these countries. And on the other hand, to have public opinions of these same countries believing in untruths. Well, why don't you just go on back to France then? Mm-hmm. Because they want those resources. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is going back. This is going back to France. He said, "France is not there with imperial intentions. I will oh not my allow God. myself to be attacked. I will not allow our soldiers to be attacked with this type of argument." And what did what did the president of Cote d'Ivoire say when he said that? Did he say anything at all? Katara. The the, the, the he was you the, know Katara was actually put in power by France. The the president is is saying that uh, that, that that he's demanding a respectable and respectful relationship with the former colonial power. He was put in power, you know, when they had the power struggle there between uh, uh, Bagbo and Katara. This was, uh, I don't know, when was it? 2008 or somewhere in that neighborhood, 2010. I can't remember when it was now. But the the, the French actually removed. They had an election. The the election was contested. Uh, uh, President uh, Bagbo was... um, would uh, refuse to leave the uh, the imperial or uh, the presidential palace, and the French actually uh, arrested him and his wife and charged them with war crimes. They were put on trial uh, at the Hague before the ICC. So uh, th- that's very very interesting. They don't want to be seen as a as a colonial as an imperial power. Mm-hmm. What did you have positive to say about the French? Well. <laughs> Gullah Jack and I were watching uh, the World at War the other night, and we noticed that uh, the French, uh, you know, they 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 run around, you know, with their chest stuck out. But what it took Hitler what six weeks to overrun the whole country? Oh, oh yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, so really. But um, we posted this, and 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 this is just an awareness because you know, when when these things happen, you know. On, it, it it appears to be very positive. It's definitely a positive move, but but the results, you know, we, we have to be results-oriented, you know, not just, uh, you know, the fanfare and, and, and all of that. So uh, we say goodbye to the CFA Frank in West Africa. Eight West African countries on Saturday agreed to change the name of their common currency to the, uh, to the ECO. The ECO is a currency that has been proposed by ECOWAS, which is uh, the Economic Union of West African States, and uh, and and uh, they changed their common currency to the ECO and severed the CFA francs links to uh, you know and severed the CFA's francs to the former co- uh, colonial rule of France. Benin, Burkina Faso, Guinea-Bissau, 
Cote d'Ivoire, Mali, Niger, Senegal, and Togo currently use the currency. Seven other ECOWAS countries have their own currencies, none of them freely convertible. Under the deal, the ECO will remain pegged to the euro, but the African countries in the bloc won't have to keep 50% of their reserves in the French treasury, and there will no longer be a French representative on the currency's union board. So that's two positives right there. That's, that, that's two positives. The fact that they don't have to keep their currency, uh, their reserves in, in, in France, and now they've, they've kicked the, the, the French guy you know, off the board. Six other countries will continue to use the Central African CFA, Cameroon, Chad, Central African Republic, Congo Republic, Equatorial Guinea, and Gabon. ECOWAS was set up in 1975 and comprises Benin, Burkina Faso, Cape Verde, uh, Gambia, Ghana, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, Côte d'Ivoire, Liberia, Mali, Niger, Nigeria, Senegal, Sierra Leone, and Togo, representing a total population of around 385 million. The bloc insists that it is aiming to have the ECO in place in 2020, but, okay, this, is the, this report is coming from a European uh, agency, but almost none of the 15 countries in the group currently meet the criteria to join. So, the, the, so that what they want to have, this would be something very positive. This would be something very, they, they want to have one common currency that's used throughout all of West Africa. Okay, rather than, you know, Ghana has its currency, Nigeria has its currency, Sierra Leone has its currency. So, so at least now these eight states, all, all of them former French colonies with the exception of uh, Guinea-Bissau, are going to use a common currency uh, that can be, so if, if, you, if you're in uh, Mali you can, and you're from Burkina Faso or you're, you're from uh, Senegal, you can use the eco. Okay, but if you're in Ghana, you still you still got to use the Ghanaian currencies. Uh, amazingly, the French colonies, uh, French former colonies, seem to be running ahead of the former British colonies. I don't know what that says, but uh, this is something to to uh, to keep our eye on, uh, particularly since it is pegged to the euro, and uh, you know we'll have to see how this works out. But at least you know there th there are two positive steps right here immediately. Uh, you know that. Uh, that 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 we can that we can say uh, that is that is uh definitely a positive a positive move another positive move that recently happened in the news african news um uh, president michael Foley of tanzania uh recently secured a uh, 272 million dollar loan from the african development bank to build a new international airport in its new capital the doma so we know that the old capital was Dar es Salaam, which highly benefited the Arabs and the Asians uh, because of its location close to the coast. Uh, so he has moved the uh, administrative capital to the center of the country, uh, which will benefit more African people uh, called the Doma. And he's building a new international airport there as well as a new uh, railway. He didn't go to the World Bank to get a loan, uh, to be trapped more in financial debt. He went to the African Developmental Bank. Now there are other countries who are members of the African Developmental Bank that are out, that are outside of Africa, but the countries that are mostly in control of the bank 
are African countries. Yeah, and that was another one of the other reasons that, that they uh, had to get rid of Gaddafi because he he wanted to propose another uh, African bank that would that would only be comprised of African countries and it would be uh, backed by uh, the the gold, you know, the dinar, and um, so. Uh, I know. Uh, I believe the, the both the uh, the World Bank and the uh, IMF have uh, uh, relationships with the African Development Bank, uh, but you know it is predominantly African. But Gaddafi wanted one that was totally African control, and that was one of the reasons they wanted to get rid of him. Uh, you know, this will be our uh, last broadcast before we enter uh, the seven days of the. Uh, uh, African celebration of family, community, and culture known as Kwanzaa. This is the 53rd year that Kwanzaa has been celebrated. Of course, most of us know that in that in 1965, after the assassination of Omawali Malcolm X, and after the uh, brutal and bloody beating that African people suffered on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and after the first of the urban major rebellions in Watts, or South Central Los Angeles, uh, Dr. Marlana Karenga and a group of African people came together and formed an organization named US, capital U, small s, US. A lot of people uh, think uh, they write it with two capital letters and they think it means United Slaves. It doesn't. It means US as opposed to them. And one of the first things that uh, they said was that uh, we needed to engage in a cultural revolution and break the monopoly that our oppressors have on our minds because until we do that, our liberation from the tyranny of white supremacy is not only unachievable, it's unthinkable. So that was in September of 1965. The following December, to help um, facilitate the process of this cultural revolution and to spread uh, the, the black value system known as the Nguza Saba, the seven principles of Kwanzaa, Omoja Unity, Kujachakalia Self-Determination, Ujima, Collective Working Responsibility, Ujima, Cooperative Economics, Nia, Purpose, Kaumba, Creativity, and Imani Faith. Dr. Karinga uh, 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 introduced uh, and they celebrated the first uh, Kwanzaa holiday. That was in December of 1966. Uh, for over 30 years now here in Charlotte, we've been celebrating Kwanzaa a little bit late coming to the game. Uh, but... Um, you know, we have been able to sustain it, and uh, the information is on both the uh, Kwanzaa Charlotte uh, Facebook page, and we, we have the uh, sites. The first night uh, will be on December 26th. That's the night of Emoja, when it will be, as usual, at uh, the Greenville Memorial Amy Zion Church, uh, hosted by a sign of the times. We have programs hosted by the Jazar family, uh, Wisdom and Sherry Jazar by the Mail's Place, Brother Reggie Singleton, and all of the Mashari and warriors at the Mail's Place, the Nation of Islam, Brother Marifa Yukweli, and the League of Intelligence will host a program. And uh, the youth will host a program. We have a, a youth-oriented program that uh, our beloved sister, uh, Mother Mentor, is, is guiding the youth through their program. And then the final night on January 1st, we be, we'll be back at Greenville uh, with, the, with, with the Sign of the Times. So we're asking everybody who is listening to us in the Charlotte community to attend all of these events or as many of these events as you can, uh, because once again, I mean, this is this is our opportunity to put our family, our community and our culture front and center. 
And a lot of people, you know, doing, uh, uh, you know, during the 1970s and since then, people have been, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of uh, the emphasis on culture. But, you know, as we often quote here, both Amos Wilson, Marimba Ani, culture is one of the most critical aspects of power and is one that we can control. It's not like politics where you have to go in there and try to cut some kind of transaction, you know, like the black politician and the white politician. You feed my dog and I'll feed yours. And the white politician's dog is a pit bull and the black politician's dog is a poodle. Both of the dogs are being fed, but who's eating the most? And who has the most power, the pit bull or the poodle? So, I mean, that's what politics, politics requires the cutting deals, uh, doing transactions, except you know, in areas where, say, like you could totally control the political apparatus in the Black Belt of Alabama, uh, the uh, Delta of Mississippi, you know, Sunflower County, LaFleur County, places like that. But on a national level, you have to cut deals. But culture is something that we could control. You know, the, uh, Omar Wally Malcolm X said, you know, think for self, think for self, act for self. These are things that we can control if we decide to do it. And with the emphasis on family, this is this is the most in my opinion, the most critical issue facing our community today, the fact that we allowed our families to be disintegrated over a 30-year period beginning around 1970. We just, you know, absentee fathers, you know, dysfunctional families, toxic relationships and all these kinds of things. And, you know, we have to rebuild this because I'm, I'm telling you, without strong black families, there is no black power. And Kwanzaa is part of that process. This is the African Liberation Media. Let's make the principles of Kwanzaa applicable 51 weeks in the year. Otherwise, it becomes a vain repetition with no relevance during the other weeks of the year. A BB for Hodier. BB for Hodier. A BB for Hodier. Power or the lack of power? I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power? If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately, those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 